We are in Genesis chapter 9. Genesis chapter 9. So let's, let's begin from Genesis chapter 9, and we're going to start reading from verse 18. Now the sons of Noah who came out of the ark were Shem, Ham, and Japheth. And Ham was the father of Canaan. These were, these three were the sons of Noah, and from these the whole earth was populated. Then Noah began farming and planted a vineyard. He drank of the wine and became drunk and uncovered himself inside his tent. Ham, the father of Canaan, saw the nakedness of his father and told his two brothers outside. But Shem and Japheth took a garment and laid it upon both their shoulders and walked backward and covered the nakedness of their father. And their faces were turned away so that they did not see their father's nakedness. When Noah awoke from his wine, he knew what his youngest son had done to him. So he said, Cursed be Canaan, a servant of servants he shall be to his brothers. He also said, Blessed be the Lord, the God of Shem. And let Canaan be his servant. May God enlarge Japheth and let him dwell in the tents of Shem. And let Canaan be his servant. Noah lived 350 years after the flood. So the days of Noah were 950 years and he died. Okay, so I want to also read a verse from the New Testament in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 12. It says, 1 Corinthians 10, verse 12, Therefore let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. Let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. Here you have a very good man in Noah. Noah is a good and a great man. It says in verse 18, it reiterates the three sons of his that came out of the ark with him. He had three sons of his in the ark. He had his three sons' wives in the ark. And he had himself and his wives. So that was eight people in the ark in all. And it mentions the three sons of, of, uh, uh, of Noah in their birth order, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. But it also says that Ham was the father of Canaan. There's something going on here with Canaan that the Scripture is not that explicit about. Something is going on with, with him. Now, Canaan was actually the fourth son of Ham. Because if you look over in Genesis chapter 10, verse 6, it says, the sons of Ham were Cush and Mizraim and Put and Canaan. So Canaan was the fourth son. So this is not immediately after they come out of the ark. This is some many years after they come out because... There were only three sons in the ark, and now we're talking about Ham and his fourth son. So this is some number of years after they've come out of the ark. And Noah goes, and it says that he began farming and he planted a vineyard. So Noah had not been a farmer before. He just began farming. This was a new thing to him. Did he not know what wine could do, he probably did. I'm sure he had seen it in his long life prior to the flood, what wine could do to a man. And Noah was a good man. Now, there's nothing particularly wrong with wine. And for those of you that come from a conservative Christian background that don't drink, fine, I'm with you. I don't drink alcohol either. My reasonings for not drinking alcohol may be different than yours. I used to drink alcohol, but when I was engaged, I, um, 
Uh, I learned that my wife didn't drink alcohol. She came from a home that didn't drink alcohol, and it bothered her when people drank alcohol if, if, uh, if they were around her drinking, and so I just stopped drinking because it didn't mean that much to me. So from the time I was 20 or 21, I just stopped drinking. And, uh, uh, and it was never a real problem for me, but I didn't want to raise an offense for, on my wife, and I'm not putting that on you at all, not at all. In fact, in Psalm 104, verse 15, it says, Wine makes men's hearts glad. All right? So, Jesus turned water into wine. So, so uh, I'm not coming against that at all. There is admonition, and it is spoken of, that drunkenness is a sin. Drunkenness is wrong. So, for example, if you turn to Proverbs chapter 20, Proverbs chapter 20, it, it mentions something of this. Um, Proverbs chapter 20 and verse 1, it says, Wine is a mocker, strong drink a brawler, and whoever is intoxicated by it is not wise. Alright, so the scriptures speak numerous verses against intoxication. If you look in Proverbs chapter 23, it's actually even more explicit in Proverbs chapter 23, and it gives warnings for us. Proverbs chapter 23 verse 20 says, Do not be with heavy drinkers of wine or gluttonous eaters of meat. For the heavy drinker and the glutton will come to poverty and drowsiness with clothes, clothe the one with rags. Pick it up in verse 29 of Proverbs 23. Who has woe? Who has sorrow? Who has contentions? Who has complaining? Who has wounds without cause? Who has redness of eyes? Those who linger long over wine... Those who taste mixed wine, do not go, do, do not look on wine when it is red, when it sparkles in the cup, when it goes down smoothly. At the last, it bites like a serpent and stings like a viper. Your eyes will see strange things, your mind will utter, utter perverse things. And you will be like one who lies down in the middle of the sea, or like one who lies down on top of a mast. They struck me, but I did not become ill. They beat me, but I did not know it. When shall I awake? I will seek another drink. So, we see the the problems of wine. And I have seen this many times in people's lives where alcohol has gotten the best of them and they thought there was no problem. In fact, I did prison ministry for 10 years. Several of the people that I became friends with in prison had had too much to drink on a particular night and they were just regular people and they ended up running over somebody and killing them and they were doing 10 years plus these were just regular people that would be in a normal crowd. They weren't particularly criminals in the sense that we normally think of criminals. So I've seen alcohol get the best of people. I've even seen alcohol make people think, you know, a 150-pound man think that he can take on a 250-pound man when he's drinking. It makes people think strange things about themselves. My recommendation to my students is always this. That when you go on your job interview and they take you out, do not drink. Just don't drink that night. Because you want your wits about you. And what happens is, when you start drinking, you lay down your inhibitions. There are things that we inhibit ourselves from doing. And we lay those down when we start having drinks. So don't do it. And I also tell them, when your work has business gatherings, Christmas parties, don't drink. Let others drink. You want to drink, drink at home. But don't drink those nights because you'll say things that you regret and your bosses are there. 
So one young man went off, he got a job with a, with, with a chemical company and, and uh, he was in another state and he came back to visit. He said, you know, I, I took your advice. They had this Christmas party and I wasn't drinking at all and everybody was drinking and saying and doing things. And he said, the next day my boss called me into his office. It was my boss and my boss's boss. And they both commented that they saw me not drinking and they appreciated my not drinking at that Christmas party. I would suggest you don't drink at these things. I saw a case where, where there was a company that wanted a lot of young people that were just starting their academic careers, and, and uh, uh, they, they wanted them to, to visit, and they would put a non-disclosure agreement in front of them saying you will never reveal any of this, and a consulting agreement saying that whatever you come up with in this particular area of self-assembly, which is a very broad area, we own it and they were going to pay them $10,000 to sign this. And I would never sign it. So what they did is they brought people together, and I'm telling you, they really brought us to a fine restaurant, and they bought bottles of wine, and they had anybody select what they wanted, hundreds of dollars for a bottle of wine. And these guys started drinking, and they signed that at that dinner. And it bound them up for a decade in a consulting agreement working on everything that they did in self-assembly. And, and I refused to sign it because I wasn't drinking. I said, I'm not going to sign it. I said, something like this, my lawyer has to check. You can't just put this in front of me at dinner and expect me to check this the day I go in and, and, and visit your company. I'm not going to do it. And, and uh, uh, so I have seen this get the best of people. It got the best of Noah. And Noah was a really good guy. Now, even good guys are, are not without sin. In 1 Corinthians 8.46, it says, everybody, it says, no one is without sin. I want to turn to Ecclesiastes chapter 7, because that's a really interesting verse on this. Ecclesiastes chapter 7. So, so a little bit after Psalms, you'll find Ecclesiastes. And in Ecclesiastes chapter 7, let me turn there. And we're going to start reading in Ecclesiastes chapter 7. We're going to start reading at verse, verse uh, um, 20. Indeed, there is not a righteous man on earth who continually does good and never sins. Alright? So that's pretty clear. Even Noah was not free of sin. The only one who was sinless was Jesus. That's it. But verse 21, And do not take seriously all words which are spoken, so that you will not hear your servant cursing you, for you also have realized that you likewise have many times cursed others. It's a powerful portion. It says, you, you know, don't take seriously everything you hear that somebody might have said about you. Because you've said the same thing about others. You really have. If you think about, oh yeah, I did, but nobody ever heard me. I heard that. Well, just remember, you heard the same thing about others. And I, I'm really amazed that, you know, I'm, I'm all for this Me Too movement. But this hashtag me too. But isn't it interesting what's come out? All of those great supporters of hashtag me too, all of a sudden it comes out that they were, they were the culprits in this themselves. It's really easy to be hypocritical, so it's better to just keep quiet about it. Just better not even get involved in it. And this is why I don't tweet. I read tweets all the time. But I don't, I don't tweet because I, if I get on Twitter, and if I started tweeting, I mean, I would say things that I regret. And, and when I say things in this class, 
that I regret, I can always go back and edit it before I post it online. <laughs> but when you put it out on Twitter, I mean, it's gone. I mean, it's, it's there. I mean, it's, it's, it's something you got to deal with. And, and uh, I've seen this destroy careers. I mean, you hear about it all the time. And then there are people, there are Twitter police that are looking for everything. And, and he says, don't get like this. You've said the same thing about other people. Nobody is without sin. Nobody's without sin. Now, it does associate, the scriptures do, do associate drunkenness with nakedness. So both in Lamentations 4.21 and in Habakkuk 2.15, in Lamentations 4.21, it says when you get drunk, you know, you're going to end up taking off your clothes. And in Habakkuk, it says that people will get others drunk in order to see their nakedness. So people get others drunk in order to see this. You have to be careful about this. This is a real thing. Now, with Noah's case, it was a little bit different in that Noah got drunk and he took off his clothes, but he was in his own tent. I mean, what you do in the privacy of your own home is your own home. But still, to whom much is given, much is expected. Noah was a great man that was given great revelation by God. And here he exposed his nakedness even in his own tent. I'll bet Noah really regrets that night. And there are many people that regret certain nights that they had gone out drinking. Happens all the time where people go out drinking and they regret the night that they went out drinking. It's a, it's a time of real regret for them. It's not something you want to get in the habit of doing. Um, Noah really regretted it. You talk to people who have a DUI. One time drinking with a, after having a few drinks, <clears throat> and then it's destroyed their life. I was just looking over a, an application for a graduate student, <clears throat> and on this application it said, it said uh, did you have any violations in college? And so he said, yeah, I violated, I, 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 I violated in, in that I had underage drinking my freshman year and da, 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 da. And so, but he had to put this on his graduate application. And I told the graduate committee, look, don't worry about, that doesn't bother me a bit. All right. I, I, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry it happened to the guy, but we just, you know, we, we can't hold this against him. But not all people are going to be looked that favorably upon it. Noah, the same thing happened. I'm sure he regretted it. As a result of this, real problems came upon his family. These are the three sons who had heard God speak. We talked about this last time. So he's in his own tent. He gets drunk. Something happens. Something happens where he ends up cursing not Ham, not his son Ham, but Ham's youngest son, Canaan. Canaan was up to something, maybe saw Noah, we don't know exactly what happened, told his father Ham, Ham goes in and looks and tells the other brothers, rather than dealing with it. There are verses that we're told to do, and, and, and Canaan, Canaan was the one who was cursed, not Ham. Ends up real problems, ends up real problems for, for, uh, for Noah and for his family. So it says in, in verse 22, Ham, the father of Canaan. Look what it points out again. Just back up in, in verse 18, it says, Ham, the father of Canaan. Why does it pick out Canaan? Of all the kids, all of them have children at this time. Thank you. All of them had children at this time. 
why would, why would they just pick out, pick out uh, um, Canaan? Something's going on with this young man. And then again in verse 22, Ham, the father of Canaan, saw the nakedness of his father and told his, the two brothers outside. So rather than to have covered his father's nakedness and not said a word, he went out, he told his two brothers. The two brothers realize what's going on. They take a blanket, they put it over their shoulders and they walk backwards into the tent and they cover their father's nakedness so as not to look upon him. That love covers a multitude of sin. So, um, first, first Peter 4.8. So in first Peter 4.8, it says love covers a multitude of sin. And it says the same thing. Uh, it, it, it talks about that in Proverbs chapter 10, verse 12. That love covers. It covers a multitude of sin. So let's, let's look at that in, in, uh, in 1 Peter. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 8. It says, Above all, keep fervent in your love for one another because love covers a multitude of sin. If you learn to do this with others you will be cut so much slack in life. God will bless you. If you do this with your bosses, if your boss does something wrong and you cover for him in the sense that, not that you shouldn't be a whistleblower if he's doing something illegal, but if he messes something up, you, you want to try to protect your boss. You want your boss to look good. There are times where you will see your spouse blow it. And what you want to do is you don't want to go blabbing about that. You want to cover for them. Protect the ones you love. The Scriptures tell us in one of the Ten Commandments, honor your father and your mother. Honor your father and your mother. And it will go well for you in the land which you are going in to possess. So it's said, it's said to be, in the New Testament, says, it's the first commandment with a promise. In other words, you do this and you're going to be blessed. You honor your father and your mother. So there was this, this lack of filial piety toward the father. This lack of piety toward the Father, this filial piety toward the Father. He covered for Him. Love covers a multitude of sin. If we become the thought police and the internet police calling out everybody who says something or does something wrong, I guarantee you the same will happen to you. Because the Bible says you reap what you sow. Be not deceived. God is not mocked in, 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 verse, in Galatians chapter 6, verse 7. Be not deceived. God is not mocked. Whatever a man sows, that he shall also reap. And remember the principle of sowing and reaping. You plant one kernel of corn and you get like 10,000 kernels of corn. You go picking out somebody's faults and publicizing that. Somebody will pick out your faults and, you pub and they'll publicize that. You say, well, I, mine was just a little one. Well, it's the principle of sowing and reaping. It'll destroy your job. One comment will be taken out of context and made into a racist comment. Destroy you. Absolutely destroy you. We are seeing this more in this day and age than in any other generation I've ever seen because of the power of the Internet for everybody to anonymously comment and make, <clears throat> and, and make attacks. This is a very practical warning. Be careful what you say about others. Be careful about being the great judge. It talks about in Romans chapter 2. When you judge others, why do you judge others when you yourself do the same thing? And in that you judge others, you will find yourself to be judged as well. You'll find yourself to be judged. 
much more than you yourself were judged. Much more than you yourself had judged. You will find yourself to be judged. This brings real destruction in, in, uh, in the home of, uh, of Noah. Real destruction in his home. And so he, 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 he sees uh, Shem and Japheth. <clears throat> they come in and they cover him. They come in and they protect him in this way. And then in verse 24 it says, When Noah awoke from his wine, he knew what his youngest son had done to him. This word youngest, say, why did youngest son? Because Ham's not the youngest son. Ham's the one in the middle. This same word youngest could also mean younger. And he might be pointing out that I'm going right back to Canaan, Ham's youngest son. Canaan did something here. We're not told what he did, but he selected out in the two verses above, Ham, the father of Canaan. Ham, the father of Canaan. Now that the curse comes not upon Ham, but upon Canaan. So in verse 24, it says that, <clears throat> that uh, uh, when he awoke from his wine, he knew what his youngest son <clears throat> had done to him. He knew what his youngest son. So it wasn't as if the man was unaware what was going on. It says, it says in the scriptures that, that you will drink, you will get drunk, and then you will wake up and you say, where's another drink? That wasn't Noah. He realized what he had done. His senses had returned to him. It says in verse 25, so he said, cursed be Canaan. He doesn't direct it at Ham. He goes right after Canaan. Cursed be Canaan, a servant of servants. That is the lowest of servants. You have servants that serve you. Well, the servant of the servants is what Canaan is going to be. That is the lowest of servants. Canaan is going to be a servant of servants. He shall be to his brothers. And now he speaks about blessing to his other two sons that showed him love, that covered for him. If you cover for others, you will be blessed. If you, if you, if you honor authority, you will be blessed. To this day, I will not call my advisors by their first name. So I worked for a man named Professor Nagishi. I don't call him by his first name. I won't do that. I worked for another man named Professor Trost. I call him Professor Trost to this day. Why? Because I honor him. So the, the president of the university, I call him President Lieberman. He says, call me David. I said, Okay, President Lieberman, I just won't do, I want to honor the man in his position. And it's not wrong to call him David if he says, call me David. But I'm just trying to show him double honor because he's the president of the university. The principles I'm teaching you, these are not that you have to do this. I'm not teaching you that, that I'm just saying little things that you can do when you show double honor to people for their position. You can be blessed in life. He goes back and he, he, he speaks about his sons. He says, he also said, blessed be the Lord, the God of Shem. <clears throat> so he's, he's blessing his son, but he doesn't say blessed be Shem. He says, blessed be the Lord, the God of Shem. This is exactly the same type of blessing you see upon the children of Israel. Blessed be the Lord God, the God of Israel. This is an acknowledgement that Shem was a godly man. Blessed be his God. This is an acknowledgement of his godliness. 
He's blessing the God of Shem. Shem was a God-fearing man. And if you look at the line, you can look in, in, in Luke's Gospel, chapter 3, and look at the lineage of Jesus. The lineage of, Je- of Jesus goes right back through Abraham, which goes right through Shem. Shem was the line that, that ended up being the descendancy of Israel. Shem was the line of the descendancy of the Lord Jesus Christ. Shem was a godly man. Blessed be the God of Shem. Shem is actually the father now of, of, of the Israelites. Then he also says... Uh, may God enlarge Japheth and let him dwell in the tents of Shem. So then he blesses Japheth. Japheth is the father of the Gentiles. And, and uh, he says, blessed be him, let him be enlarged. And the Gentiles are much bigger than the descendants of, of Shem. And, and he says, but he's going to be in the tents of Shem. He is speaking of the salvation is going to come also to the Gentiles. There's so much embedded in this. And then he says, and Canaan will be his servant. And Canaan will be his servant. And there are numerous verses through the scriptures that talk about, that talk about um, uh, Canaan. And Canaan ends up a servant. Canaan is the Canaanites. Remember the Canaanites in Israel. That's the people that Israel, Israel was, was fighting. And in fact, if you look in, verse, in chapter 10 of Genesis, when it talks about the genealogy, it says in chapter 10, Canaan became the father of Sidon, his firstborn, and Heth, and, and the Jebusites, the Amorites, and the Girgashites. These were all the tribes that you remember Israel fighting. The ones that they didn't kill, they put in servitude. This was the descendants that indeed they, they fell into servitude. And it says in, in chapter nine, in chapter 10 verse 19, and the territory of the Canaanites extended from Sidon as you go toward Gerar and as far down as Gaza as you go toward Sodom and Gomorrah and Adma and Zebolim and Lacia. So you see that the same cities that you see that the Israelites were fighting for, this was, was, were the children of the Canaan that they were displacing. They became quite ungodly people. And you see this manifest, that this curse is actually a prophecy. Because you say, oh, well, the curse is the thing that did it. Well, remember, the scriptures say that a, a, a curse given unjustly does not alight. A curse given unjustly. So people would say, you know, for, so for example, I used to go door to door when I was in, 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 graduate school, all over, going door to door and preaching the gospel. And some folks started doing these incantations and curses, and I'd find dead cats in front of my door and, 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 and people outside the window screaming in the middle of the night, strange things. But I always held on to that verse, that a curse unjustly does not alight. It will not alight upon me. Yes, this was a curse, but it was justified. And this curse came upon Canaan. Now, it's interesting that, that Ham, these people settled in this land. Now, they actually, the Canaanites ended up getting destroyed totally, annihilated in 146 B.C. That was the destruction of Carthage. When the Romans destroyed Carthage in 146 B.C., they wiped out the Canaanites in the destruction of Carthage. This verse has been used to talk about the enslavement of Africans has nothing to do with that. Ham, yes, is the father of those who settled in the African continent. 
But the curse was not upon Ham and his other sons. Ham had several other sons. Remember in verse 6 of chapter 10, it says the sons of Ham were Cush, Mizram, and Put, and Canaan. Canaan was the one who settled in the territory that was ultimately going to be uh, 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 overcome by, by Israel. They ended up dispersing and moving to current-day Tunisia and North Africa, and they were wiped out in the destruction of Carthage. has nothing to do with what happened in the continent of Africa. These were the Canaanites. They were the ones who were cursed, said to be servants of servants. And so you see what the Scriptures do. It outlines for us this picture that if we do things, it can bring real trouble upon our family. Be careful. If you're a drinker of alcohol, just be careful of it. Be careful of it. And when you want your wits about you, like when you're on a job interview and around your boss, be careful what you do. Noah exposed himself in his own tent. This is nothing compared to what happens on the campus. I mean, people go running around on this certain night every month. They go running around with no clothes on. This is not normal. And a lot of that is probably alcohol-induced. But it's not normal. I'll tell you, you do that any other place other than on that campus, you'll go to jail for that. All right? It's just not normal practice. The Bible speaks of nakedness not being a good thing. It's not something to admire. It's not something, wow, that guy was really bold. <laughs> no, not at all. The Bible talks about this as being quite sinful. Noah was in his own tent and it got him in big trouble. Be careful about that thing. And always cover. Love covers a multitude of sin. Cover. Let it be a cover. Love covers a multitude of sin. Let there be a covering and a protection. Love covers a multitude of sin. And then it says, And Noah lived 350 years after the flood, so the days of Noah were 950 years, and he died. And so there's a summary. There's a summary of the life of Noah. In the New Testament, Matthew chapter 24, it talks about the days of Noah. People were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage. And it says it's going to be like that when the rapture occurs. When the rapture occurs. So remember, we have no warning with the rapture. That can occur any time. The second coming, we have plenty of warning. We know when the second coming of Christ is going to happen. There are several things that have to happen. In other words, the temple is going to be reestablished on the Temple Mount. I can guarantee you the second Christ, the coming of Christ is not going to happen today or tomorrow. You say, how do you know? You don't know. No, I know. Because the Bible says there's going to be a temple rebuilt on the Temple Mount. There is no temple on the Temple Mount right now. And the Temple Mount in Jerusalem is a mosque. There's not a temple. They're going to be reinstituting the sacrifices in that temple. And it's going to be there for three and a half years before you have the, the, the abomination of desolations. When there's going to be a pig offered up on the altar. And then it's after that, that second three and a half years, there's going to be tremendous suffering of the Jewish people, that second and a half, three and a half years, and then Christ will come. But the rapture, when He takes people who know Him, that is happening before this, th that event. And there is no warning about that. Nobody knows the day or the hour. It's, it likens it to the days of Noah. They were eating and drinking, giving in marriage. 
That's what we learn from this. Also, in, in Hebrews chapter 11, it talks about Noah's faith. Noah's faith was amazing. His faith was amazing. That when he had never seen rain, remember, mist used to rise up, he built an ark according to the things of God. He built an ark through which he condemned the world. The faith of Noah is spoken about in the New Testament. 1 Peter 3.19, it talks about how that ark was like when we are baptized. It saves us when we get saved and we are baptism. Not, not baptized in the sense that the act of baptism saves us, but what leads up to that, the saving, the, 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 the confession of Christ. And then in 2 Peter 2.5 is that God knows how to dis- display judgment. If you think that, oh, God is all loving and he would never display judgment, you've not read the Bible. You've not. If you think God does not display judgment, you've not read the Bible. That is in your own mind. It's not real. If you think God does not judge people. God does it all the time and he's very good at it. He is long-suffering and he is patient. But judgment comes. And this is why we call upon Christ. Because none of us, none of us is without sin. For all have sinned and fall short of of the glory of God. This is why we call on Christ. Because Christ is my sufficiency. I cannot stand in this by myself. If you will this day say, Lord, forgive me because I am a sinner and come into my life. I believe that you've risen from the dead. That little prayer makes an enormous difference. What it does, it testifies to the Lord that you're calling upon the saving grace of His Son. That's what it's all about. Judgment comes. Judgment will come upon this earth. That's what Noah's life tells us about. Judgment comes. But we are to call upon the name of Christ and He will bless us. Let's pray. Father, thank You so much for this day that You teach us from Your Word. Lord, thank you for the life of Noah. Lord, I pray for these young people that they would watch their alcohol drinking, let it, lest it destroy their lives. Father, that they just are going about their lives, trying to get their education and do so many things. Father, may they be so careful about that, lest it bite them. Father, protect them in this. Father, I pray that when they are out drinking, Father, that you would bring this message back to them and they would proceed with real caution when they are going to be around their bosses, when they are going to be job interviewing, that they would remember this message, that they would remember how this affected the life of Noah and his descendants because of this act of Noah. Father, that to a good man, how it can destroy a life. Father, protect these young lives, I pray. Lord, I pray that you would teach them to walk in the fear of God. And Father, I pray for the unbelievers that are here. Oh Lord, I pray that they would call upon the Lord Jesus Christ for safety. They would call upon the Lord Jesus Christ and pray this very day. Lord, forgive me because I'm a sinner. Come into my life. And Father, that they would embrace the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. The resurrection from the dead. In the name of Jesus, amen.